Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for this week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCrary, your host, and I'm being joined once again this week by Mike Livingston. Mike was with us the first week of this study. So, Mike, thank you for being with us today as we look at session five of our spring 2022 study of First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to be looking at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 this week. Uh, the main point for the whole study is that the gospel makes a difference in the way believers love and live. Verses 4, 1 through 12, in our outline, we've entitled Pleasing. In those verses, Paul called on the Thessalonians to continue to live lives that please God. He pointed out that the commands he shared were the commands of Jesus. For us, we can walk away knowing that salvation is lived out through seeking to please God. Verses 3 through 8 of chapter 4, we've entitled in our outline, Holy. In these verses, Paul declared that our sanctification was God's will, and sexual purity was an element of that sanctification. He called on the Thessalonian believers to control their passions and choose holiness instead. Those who took advantage of another person physically faced God's vengeance. I want us to talk some about that, Mike, the idea of God's vengeance here on a believer. The point for us to walk away with is that sanctification includes striving towards holiness in our sexual lives. The last section, verses 9 through 12, we've entitled that section daily. In these verses, Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to demonstrate daily a love for others and to lead lives that would make a positive impression on non-believers. Believers influence others through the way they live their lives. The main point for us to walk away with here is that non-believers are impacted by the faithful lives of believers. That's a quick look at those three points, pleasing, holy, and daily. And once again, the main idea is that the gospel makes a difference in the way believers live and love, or actually in love and live is how we worded it. Mike, how does salvation lead to a practical life change? I think, first of all, about how the New Testament talks about salvation. It's a new birth, new creation, is passing from death to life. So salvation is not only a past event. It's not just something I did, something that happened once. It's also a present reality. It's who I now am in Christ. So we want to keep in focus uh, the, the, you know, the summary statement for this lesson is that the gospel makes a difference in the way that believers love and live. Um, it's, it, salvation is life-changing, to say, to say the least, right? So, and, and I think the key word in this passage that, uh, that allows us to talk you know, in more depth about what this means is the word sanctification in verse 3. The root, the root word of the word sanctify is to make holy or to separate. And we can talk about two different aspects of sanctification. It, it is a one-time event. It's something that happens to us at the moment of conversion, but it's also that ongoing process. You know, God is not finished with us yet. He's still working in us. So he, he set us apart as his at the moment of our conversion. And so, you know, that, that's a part of sanctification. Yeah, it includes the idea of being set apart as God's for his purpose, right? So 
it's that. It's also a continuing process that starts at that point. It starts at conversion, but then the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us, making us more like Christ, the Holy Spirit working in us, conforming us to the likeness of Christ from the inside out. So it's, you know, it's God, it's, it's the Spirit of God working in us to make us more and more like Christ. That's one aspect of sanctification. But we do have a part in that. We play a part in our spiritual development and maturity. And we have a responsibility to live out our sanctification through obedience. So when we look at our passage for this week in chapter four, you, know, you, you can look for and find some words and phrases uh, in First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8 that help explain what, what sanctification is and explain life and how our lives change. Uh, you see, first of all, um, Paul talking about God working in us through his Holy Spirit. You, you find, you know, the Holy Spirit, and we, we, we saw this in, in back in, you know, week one, in, in chapter one, you know, numerous references to the Spirit of God working in us. And here, chapter four, verse seven, you know, he talks about how God hasn't called us to impurity, but to live in holiness, verse eight, Consequently, um, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. There, right there it is. God gives us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is working in, in us, and he's working in us through his word. Paul said back in verse 2 of chapter 4, you know the commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He's talking about, you know, how God, the Holy Spirit, works through his word, works through uh, the word of God to sanctify us. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So through his, through his spirit and his word, God is working in us to, to transform us. All right. So that's, yeah, like I said, that's one thing. But what about our, our role in this? What about our responsibility? Verse two, Paul told them to, they needed to live to, and to please God, to live and to please God. And he says, you're already doing this. You're doing this already. Uh, I want you to keep on doing this because you, you know how to do this. We taught you how to do this. So I want you to keep on. Knowing God's commands um, needs to be not just at the head level, but at the heart level, right? Paul, that's what Paul is saying here. You, you know what to do. You just need to do it. The commands of God, the teaching of his word needs to become a part of who we are in our day, daily lives. So the problem is not that we don't know God's will. We don't know what to do. I mean, that's not the problem. The, the problem is that we're not obedient to what we already know. <laughs> uh, and you said, you said earlier that sanctification involves striving toward holiness in our, in our sexual lives. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 3, that a part of, of living out our sanctification is to keep away from sexual immorality. Um, and again, he says, each of you know, you know how to do this, he says. Uh, so there's a choice that you and I make every day, um, and we make it throughout the day, to live in a way that pleases God. We make a choice, we make the choice, you know, throughout the day to, to live his way, to choose his way and not our way or, or the world's way. So in sanctification, there's, you know, there's what God is doing in us through his spirit and his word. But then there's also our striving to live out that sanctification in, in the choices that we make. You noted the sexual sin here. Is there a reason Paul may have focused on that in this passage? 
as opposed to greed or some other sin? Well, because the, the Thessalonians lived in a culture uh, in which sexual immorality was, was the norm. I mean, that was, was a part of the culture. Pagan gods and goddesses were very immoral. And, and the worship of pagan gods and goddesses involved sexual activity with, with temple prostitutes in many cases. So the Thessalonian believers came out of that kind of background and they still lived in, in that kind of atmosphere. I mean, that was a part of the, of the world, the culture in which they were living. So we, we understand you know, the need um, you know, for Paul to address this. Um, in, in the first century, in the Roman Empire, the first, in the first century, it was, just, it was just the norm then for men to have sexual encounters with women who were not their wives. I mean, that, that, was, you know, that was just the norm. That was just, you know, you did that. Whether it, would be, whether it was, uh, you know, the temple prostitutes or, you know, female servants or just mistresses, that was, that was a, a normal practice. So in, in addition to the temple prostitution, broth, brothels were, were really common in society. Just pretty much assume that men, whether you're married or not married, you're going to, to visit them. Uh, there was a fourth century BC uh, uh, Greek writer, Demosthenes, Demosthenes uh, who, who said, who wrote that mistresses we keep for our pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day -day physical well-being, and wives to bear us legitimate children and to serve as guardians over our households. That, that was the fourth century BC and the attitude hadn't changed much by the first century AD. That was pretty much still the prevailing attitude. Yet that and, and also uh, male homosexuality was accepted in ancient Rome. And, and, and one other thing uh, you know is that one of the most disturbing aspects of, of archeological finds um, at, at one particular place in Pompeii has been was the uh, prominence of pornographic images on the walls of homes. Um, you know, we we might look at our culture. We might look at you know the, the culture in which we live today, and the rampant immorality and the sexual perversion and the gender confusion and all this, and we might think you know it's never been as bad as it is today. It's never been this bad. Well, I don't know. I don't know that we can say that because we've pretty, we've always been we've always been pretty good at sinning. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty bad in the first century. Yeah. Um, and we remember that um, in Acts 15, when the Jerusalem Council met uh, and they wrote a letter to the Gentiles who were coming to the faith, new gen, you know, mm -hmm. Gentile believers new to the faith, and they wrote a letter to them. And in this letter, they felt the need to include the warning to abstain from sexual immorality was, was the, the language used in that letter. The same warning, the same language uh, Paul uses to the Thessalonians in chapter four, verse three, keep away from sexual immorality. So Paul is focusing on this because it was needed. They need to hear this uh, because God defines what's right, what's wrong. God, not society, sets the standard. Uh, God's boundary markers don't move regardless of societal standards. Verse four is a challenging first to translate. Uh, any insights on how we might help our class understand that, that verse? Yeah, there's a word in there uh, translated 
vessel in King James, it, it's possess his vessel in other translations, it's body. The, the Greek noun is skios, and it, it's a, literally, it means a vessel or a household utensil. So the question is, how, how do you translate that? Because clearly Paul is using it metaphorically. He's not talking about a literal household utensil, obviously. So how, how should it be translated uh, to get the metaphorical meaning that Paul had in mind? And it could be translated um, your body, uh, to control your body. But it, it also, some have suggested it could refer to one's wife, taking, taking a wife. In fact, the old um, Revised Standard Version translated it that way, that each of you know how to take a wife for himself in holiness and honor. The meaning, the meaning would be to, to live in a monogamous relationship with your wife in contrast to you know, following lustful passions. Then the, the, the new Revised Standard changed it to know how to control your own body. And that's, that's the translation that many, uh, most translations follow is control your body. So uh, understood in that, in that sense, you know, just Paul is just saying, you know, we need to, you need to learn how to control your sexual desires. And in the context of this passage, that's what he's talking about, controlling your sexual desires. And the opposite of that would be to just live without restraint and to follow your lustful passions. Um, either way, the point is the same, that God's will for us is self-control. That is a fruit of the spirit, you know is self-control and, and sexual sexual purity and that's that's the intent of what paul is saying here the that same passage same section we see that idea too about god's vengeance being equal to his discipline mm -hmm. help us unpack that a little bit again i think the context is the same as what we've been you know talking about in the context of sexual sin and, and choosing to live in, in uh, lives of purity uh in in this regard um is how we should read this talk, talk about God's vengeance um, all sin of course all sin is sin against God all sin is against God but sexual sin involves um, others you know it's it's also a sin against others um, there's a note in the CSB study bible uh, about this it says um, that, that sexual sin is a form of theft you're, you're mm -hmm. taking something that's not rightfully yours uh, you're you're exploiting someone else for your own lustful passions, and you're, or you're defrauding, and you're defrauding your your own spouse or your future spouse. Yeah, I, I've read that when you commit sexual sin, that you break multiple of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and so to say in this context, the Lord is an avenger, means believers will suffer the consequences for making these sinful choices. And, and they will experience God's discipline. See, one of, one of the enemy's lies, one of the devil's lies about sexual sin is that you can get away with it. And, and you know, as, you know, two consenting adults, no one gets hurt. You know, there's no negative consequences. No, what, what Paul is reminding us of here is that there are no hidden sins. That the Lord sees what we're doing, even if no one else does. It's not true that no one else gets hurt. That is not true. It breaks the heart of God when we engage in, in sexual sin. And Paul reminds us uh, that he is the avenger of these offenses, that, that he will discipline his people uh, when they make sinful choices. At the uh, end of this passage, verses 10 and 11, Paul talks about leading a quiet life. 
most would not see Paul as someone who lived a quiet life. I mean, he's in the middle of riots and all kinds of stuff. He says in the CSB, he says to seek to live a quiet life. And that's not, that's not a bad translation, but I think it can carry a stronger meaning than that. The word seek um, in CSB, it can mean to strive, to make it your aim, to aspire, to be zealous for, to, to have as your ambition. Some translations say, make it your ambition to live, uh, to lead a quiet life. Make that your, your ambition. It, it almost sounds contradictory to what, he, what he's saying here. To, to strive, strive to not strive. It's kind of the sense of what he's saying. Strive to not strive. Get stirred up about being calm. You know, that's kind of what he's saying here. Get, get, all, get stirred up about staying quiet, staying calm. And, and you know, there's, there are other times, only, well, only two other times Paul uses the word translated seek or make as your ambition. Two other times he uses that in, in the New Testament. One is in Romans 15, 20, where he says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. That's, that's the same word. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 9, where he says, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. So it's the same word in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11. We make it our aim. Or to, he says, make it your aim to, to lead a quiet life. And the implication is that they weren't, but they needed to do it. And so one explanation is... Uh, Believing, believing that Christ's return was imminent, which they believed, uh, and likely there were, there was a group of troublemakers creating some confusion. There, I mean, there was a group of troublemakers creating con some confusion about the Lord's return, and so some believers in the church had become anxious about this. Uh, maybe they were restless, a little unsettled about it, and Paul is telling them to turn their restlessness into a calm quietness. Just I, you know, I don't know if we could, I don't know if we could paraphrase. Uh, just chill, you know, just relax, yeah. just relax about this. Don't get all, don't get all worked up. And there were there were some who were trying to get them all worked up about this. The very next section deals with the return of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, I so. think that's I think that's how we should understand it. I think Paul had a couple of reasons for saying what he said there. And he, actually, he says, you know, three things there in that verse. Be quiet, mind your business, work hard. And a couple of reasons he says that. He says he wants them to win the respect of unbelievers. And he, he doesn't want them to be a burden on, on fellow believers. So that's, that's the reasoning behind it. So living quietly doesn't mean you have to tone down the proclamation of the gospel. The, the goal uh, is to be a, a strong, bold witness for Christ in, in an unbelieving world. And so Paul is encouraging a calm and quiet life while at the same time uh, maintaining a loud witness for Christ. So that also, since in what you just said, that quiet life opens the door for us also to talk about paying our debts and living within our means. Mm -hmm. And so one way we remain quiet is we take care of our social responsibilities and our financial responsibilities. Yeah. And th that way we're not the talk of the town in a negative way. Yeah, doing that wins the respect of unbelievers. Yeah. One thing I'd point out is throughout this lesson, the, the idea of sanctification is gonna come up repeatedly. Uh, it's our key doctrine for this lesson. Uh, it's that uh, the Bible skill is also built around this, uh, where you use a Bible dictionary and you read an article about sanctification and some, some thought questions relative to that. And also pack item four in the leader pack, 
uh, is the, the doctrinal statement on sanctification. It includes what we have printed as the key doctrine, plus one more sentence. Uh, and all that comes from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. So throughout this study, you're going to have opportunities to, to examine and discuss sanctification. And so all three of those things, the Bible skill, the key doctrine, and that pack all work together to help you explore what that means for us today in our world. Uh, Mike, you have any other things you would share about this study of 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12? Mention one other thing quickly. Um, I already made a reference to this, I think. But in verse one, chapter four, verse one, Paul talks about how you've already, we've already, we've already taught you these things, uh, and you're already doing them. He says, I, "I, you're doing them already. Just do more of it. Do do more of this." And then in verse nine, down in verses nine and ten, he says kind of the same thing about brother, brotherly love. We don't have to write you because you're taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this already. Uh, but we just encourage you to do it even more. So twice there, kind of like bookends. You know, you know what to do. Just you're doing it. Just keep doing it. Do more of it. Says it twice. Our role is our role as a teacher or leader in, in our groups is not just to give new information. You know what was Paul saying here? He says, you know, I'm, I'm really not telling you anything new, am I? You know what to do. I'm, so I'm not really giving you new information here. You know what to do. I'm just encouraging you to do that. And so they just needed some encouragement to do what they knew to do. And maybe the greatest need in your group on Sunday is not for you to get up, you know, get before your group and just tell them some something new that nobody has heard before. It might be that there, there are those in your group or maybe your whole group that their need just, maybe it's just to be encouraged, just to keep on doing what you know is right. Just keep on doing what you know. From time to time in this podcast, we mentioned different resources in the Explore the Bible family, the Leader Pack, the Adult Commentary, Quick Source. There are others we may name. You can find out more about the Explore the Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. That's goexplorethebible.com, no spaces. Thank you for listening to us this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week. We'll be looking at Session 6. be looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And the main point that we'll be examining is the promised return of Christ gives believers hope when grieving. Mm -hmm.